0: Uh, So we're in a series, we're wrapping up the series, what we've been calling uh, Christmas Promises, where the whole idea has been looking at these Old Testament promises or these Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus and specifically point to his birth. And as we've seen those, we've seen God make good on his promises, which obviously is what gives us hope, is that God makes good on his promises. He keeps his word. Now, if uh, anybody decorate their house. Now, I should ask who didn't decorate decorate their house for Christmas. That'd be more convicting, but I won't. Um, if So I love decorating the outside of our house. Our kids have been asking one question this entire Christmas season. Why don't you have any blowups in your yard, dad? Like we don't have the blowups, not because we're opposed to them, but I'm like, man, I do the lights on the house. Like, it's good enough, right? So it happens every single time though. We put the lights on the house, we plug them in, and we try to do that Charlie Brown moment of ooh and ah, but then what happens, what do you notice? Like half of them don't work. Every single year it doesn't fail that we plug in the lights and most of them work, but then there's always that section that doesn't work. So I, like maybe many of you, I will then sit in my garage and start going through each and every one of these lights. Because you know what it is, right? There is one light bulb somewhere on this entire strand that is missing or has gone bad or is broken. And so the only way to make this work again is to go through and search relentlessly, tirelessly for whichever light bulb is out. But here's then what really happens. I get to about here, spending about four and a half minutes searching. And I say, you know what? Not worth it. Let's go buy another one. (laughs) Not worth the time, not worth the effort and the energy. I don't want to have to sit here and waste my Saturday going through all of these lights, trying to find the one that's bad or the one that's missing. I'm just going to throw it away and go get a whole nother new strand. And most of us are like that. There's probably a select few of you, which I will never understand, that will sit here and go through the entire thing, finding that one light that's out. The rest of us normal people (laughs) will throw it away, find us a new strand at Walmart and be done with it because we don't want to take the time. And that's pretty true in a lot of ways, isn't it? We don't like taking the time to search for what's missing. We just want it to be taken care of. We just want it to be fixed it gets frustrating after a while, doesn't it? Man, I put all this into it. Now I have to search and figure out what's missing. I have to search and figure out what's wrong. Not worth it. So we throw it away and we just go in different direction. The story we're going to look at this morning is the story of the wise men. And their story, the entire story of the wise men can be summed up in this one word, searching. That's the story of the wise men. They were searching for Jesus. And they didn't just search for a little bit. As we're gonna see, they searched and they searched and they searched and they continued searching for Jesus until they finally found him. But that's not the end of their story. In fact, as we're gonna see, once they find Jesus, then their story really begins. So you have these wise men that are searching relentlessly for Jesus. And once they find him, Then their story truly begins. So let's talk about this before we dive in too deep with the wise men because there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of rumors in regards to the wise men. You're probably thinking of your nativity scene at home that that's the story of the wise men because your nativity scene has how many wise men? Three. Do we know for sure that there were three wise men? No, 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 no. So that's one of the parts of the story that kind of gets a little, little lost is we don't know how many wise men there were. Tradition tells us three, but there could have been one. There could have been 200. We have no idea on how many wise men truly came to see Jesus. But again, tradition tells us three. There were three gifts that were given. So maybe we assume the three wise men, one per gift. Those gifts were given were gold, Frankenstein, if you're my kids, frankincense, if you're an essential oils person, and myrrh. Those were what were given to Jesus. And there's a lot of significance wrapped around those. We're not going to go into them. Uh, True meaning in the moment, but also a lot of symbolism uh, regarding Jesus and his death, resurrection, the whole thing. You can look into it. So we know about the gifts. Do you know where they were from? What's the Bible tell us? They came from the far east. That's right. The far east is all that scripture tells us about where they were from. But if you start looking even in the Old Testament, we can make a few assumptions. We don't know it for certain, but it would make a lot of sense that from the far east, the wise men would have been from Persia or Babylon the reason we make that assumption is if you were to go to Daniel chapter two, some of you are going to geek out on this. Some of you don't care at all. So let me talk to the three of you that care. So in Daniel chapter two, we learn Daniel, like this is Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel, that Daniel, Daniel was actually put over in the king's words, put over all of the wise men, all of the magi in Babylon and Persia at the time. Then later on in Daniel chapter nine, Daniel actually gives prophecies about the coming Messiah. So what we see probably happen is these wise men that we get in the story, in the Christmas story, would have been heard, not necessarily heard straight from Daniel's mouth, but through the wise men and the generations, the stories of Jewish law, the stories of Jewish prophecies, and they would have begin to hear more and more about this coming Messiah, all because of Daniel, that we know is Daniel and the lions in his story. So we know a little bit about the gifts. We know a little bit about where they were from. We also make some assumptions as far as who they were, meaning very wealthy, very influential, very powerful. The reason we make that assumption is they traveled a long distance, probably 800, 900 miles to get to Jerusalem from where they were at in the far East Persia area. And when they get there, the entire city of Jerusalem kind of goes nuts. And we're going to see that as we read it. And I'm telling you, if I were to show up, just poor little old Brian, show up to Jerusalem, no one's going to care. People are like, oh, who's the new guy? Anyway, moving on to the rest of our day. (laughs) But when these wise men come into Jerusalem, everybody starts talking about it. Even the king at the time, King Herod, he starts talking about it. So there's this big ruckus that happens all because these wise men show up. So we can recognize that, again, there's a lot of status, there's a lot of influence, power, and based off of their gifts, even wealth. But the most important thing that we're going to pay attention to goes back to that word, searching. They were searching for Jesus. And if you know part of the wise men's story, how did they find Jesus? What did they follow in the sky? A a star. That's right. So for the prophecy or the promise that we're going to look at this morning comes out of Numbers. Numbers way back in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 24. A very unlikely prophet gives us these words. Numbers chapter 24 verse 17. Here's the prophecy about Jesus's birth. I see him but not here and now. I perceive him but far in the distant future. Again, this is happening in numbers. So there's a long way to go before Jesus is actually born. So way in the distant future, the prophet is saying it has nothing to do with today, but in the distant future. Then look what he writes next. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge From Israel, scepter refers to a a king or a ruler of a nation. Scepter means or is used symbolically as a ruler. So we see two parts of this prophecy, or three parts. One is happening in the distant future. Then we see that a star will rise... Right As we then learn that that's how then the wise men are able to follow, they would have most likely, again because of Daniel, known of this prophecy. So there's a star that's going to guide them to where Jesus would be born, where this Messiah would be born, and this Messiah would be king. This Messiah would be the one true king. So the wise men, knowing those things, went on a search for this new king. They see the star, they recognize it, and they begin to search for Jesus And they kept searching, kept searching until they found him. So here's what I want us to do. We're getting ready to dive into the the wise Wiseman story. It'll be Matthew chapter two, if you want to follow along. But I want you to do something with me first. If you'll indulge me for a second, would you close your eyes with me? Close your eyes, I'm gonna pray in a second, but I want you to do something um, personally before we dive into their story. Would you just kind of visualize in your mind where you are right now with Jesus? Spiritually speaking, Where are you with Jesus? Do you feel really close to Jesus? Like, man, he's right there. I feel him in my heart. I see him moving in my life. Like, I feel close to Jesus. Does Jesus seem way far off? Does he seem distant? Maybe he seems unknown. You don't know anything about this Jesus. Just what you've maybe heard, but you've not experienced him. You've not met him. You've not heard from him. Maybe it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Maybe you see yourself like moving towards Jesus or around Jesus, but maybe not very close. Where do you see yourself with Jesus, spiritually speaking? And as you visualize that, my prayer for you is that as we go through the wise men's story, and again, their story is a story of men that were very far from Jesus, that kept searching until they found Jesus, that you would be willing to do the same. Continue to move closer to Jesus, no matter how close you are, no matter how far you are, that you would take a step today and move just a little bit closer to him. Jesus, we, we come before you today recognizing where we are at with you, And no matter where we are spiritually, we all recognize that we can all move closer. I pray that we never allow close enough to define our relationship with you, but that we would always press and always move and always pursue and always be seeking and searching you to grow with you and in you. So Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts this morning? Would you speak to us, move us and convict us as we seek to move closer to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the story of the wise men, or maybe you've heard them called the Magi. Matthew chapter two. If you've got a Bible, follow along. If not, man, we've got a Bible for you out by uh, the coffee. We'd love to have you grab one of those. That's our gift to you. So here we go. Beginning of the story, uh, Matthew chapter two, verse one with the wise men. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, again, not three, some, maybe it's three, maybe it's more, maybe it's less, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, here's the question, where is the newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star, not a star, but his star, which makes us think that they were aware of that prophecy in numbers. We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Now hold up there for a second. Cause again, that key word searching. And as we're searching to take next steps and searching to grow closer with Jesus, there is a posture that needs to be taken, right? And the wise men do a great job with this. Let me explain it this way. So stating the obvious, what am I doing in this chair? I am sitting, that's right, good answer. I am sitting in this chair. Now, if you can see me, would you say that I have good posture as I sit in this chair right now for the most part? Yeah, yeah, pretty good posture, right? My feet are on the floor, my back is straight, I'm sitting with good posture. Now, if I were to do this, would you say I have good posture or bad posture? Bad posture for the most part, right? Now, can we agree, though, whether I'm sitting like this, bad posture, or whether I sit like this with good posture, am I sitting in both examples? Yes, yes, exactly. So you can sit however you want, but one posture would be considered good and helpful and healthy. Another posture would be considered unhealthy or even problematic. And the reason I bring that up is because how we search and pursue Jesus, the how, the posture, it does matter. To have the right heart, scripture tells us that God looks at the heart, not just the motions of what we do. So where your heart is in the pursuit of Jesus, it matters. So notice the posture, the the how of the wise men as they were searching for Jesus. The first thing they did was ask a question. Where is this newborn king of the Jews? The very first thing they do is pose a question. Then they explained why they're looking. Well, we saw his star. They had been paying attention, they were observant, and they noticed something that tied to the prophecy of what God had given. Now they went searching. And then this last part is so key. And we have come to worship him. These wise men, again, most likely very influential, wealthy, powerful, all the things, could have shown up to this new king of the Jews to gain something, to to work out a treaty between their two lands, between this new king of the Jews and their home country. They could have shown up just to elevate their status. We were the first ones to meet the new king. We were the first ones to meet the new king. They could have just gained status Maybe they wanted to give tribute or to give honor, to give gifts, so then later on, they could cash in a favor. Hey, remember that time we gave you those three really expensive gifts on your birthday? Well, here, would you do this for us now? Maybe they just wanted to get Jesus in their debt. None of that's the case. These wise men show up to do one thing, to worship him. That's their posture as they search and seek and pursue Jesus. Let me say it to you this way, because I would want you to have the same posture. I want myself to grow and have the same posture as we constantly move towards Jesus. To stay curious, observant, and humble. Stay curious, ask questions. It's the first thing that we, re, we have recorded that the wise men did when they got to Jerusalem. Where's this king? We've heard of him, we know a little bit about him, we've been following this star, but where is he? And they asked a lot of different people, Man, one of the the great joys of what I have the privilege to do as your pastor is I get to help you ask questions. And oftentimes I get asked questions and I'll say, Let me answer your question with another question. And then we get to wrestle together through these questions about the true, the trueness of God and who he is and his character and his design for our life. We get to wrestle through those questions. And God can handle your question, he desires your questions. Bring questions, stay curious have that posture of paying attention. They were very observant because they said, we saw his star, but in order to see the star, you gotta be looking for it. So can I encourage you, even challenge some of you, are you paying attention to what God is doing around you? Are your eyes open to seeing how he's moving in your life and in the people around you and in your heart? That little quiet voice that, that starts to speak to your heart, do you listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to you? That little conviction That happens in your gut. Are you following and listening? Are you paying attention to what God is doing and what God is saying? And then lastly, humble. We come to worship. And we're gonna see them do this later on in the story, but they bow down and give their life to Jesus, this king. Can we have that same posture? Stay curious and ask questions, be observant, pay attention, and stay humble as we search after him. So wherever you visualized yourself in Jesus today, and as we go on this quest, not just for this morning, but man, I hope that you hold on to this for the rest of your life. Continue to search for and move closer to Jesus, but do it with all the humility in the world. So here's the next part. So they get to Jerusalem, they're asking all these questions, trying to find Jesus. Verse three, King Herod, who is the current king of the Jews, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. We actually looked at this prophecy last week, if you want to learn more about that. But everybody knew this prophecy from Micah. It was very familiar. The prophecy says, verse six, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So everybody knew the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. So verse seven, but Herod doesn't like to be challenged. He's got people from another land asking where the king is. And he's like, I'm right here. He says, no, 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 no. You're the old king. Where's the new king? Like that doesn't go over very well if you're king. Verse seven, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the, the star first appeared. Then he told them to go to Bethlehem, and here's that word, and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Those are Herod's words. Let's stop there. First of all, you need to know that's about Herod. You'll see this later if you keep reading. What Herod just said, search carefully, go find the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. That, he's absolutely full of it. That is not what Herod is wanting to do whatsoever. Herod is threatened by this new king of the Jews. He wants to remain king. So any other person claiming to be king, coming after his right on the throne, he views as a threat. So he wants to know where Jesus is at so he can go and kill him. And you can read later. If you keep reading through the rest of chapter two, you will see the horrible things that King Herod did to try to find and kill Jesus. Absolutely horrific. Horrific. Now, the wise men don't know that. File that away. We'll talk a little bit later about it. But here we see Herod desiring to know where Jesus is at, but not for the reason that he stated. But the wise men with good intentions and a good posture, are still looking for Jesus. So here's how they continued their search. Now, here's this next part. We saw the posture of the wise men. Now I want you to see the progression of the wise men. Meaning this, one thing is gonna lead to another that's gonna lead to another. They're gonna act like dominoes. And when we search after Jesus in our own lives, no matter where you are with him, close or distant, this progression will be true for you too. So here it is, pay attention to the progression as they search for Jesus. Verse nine, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. It stopped right where Jesus was born. Now, as they, they get to Jerusalem, again, we are making an assumption far east, let's call it Persia, about an 800, 900 plus mile journey. One way. And they get to Jerusalem and they're like, where's this new king? We've been traveling for months. Where is he? Well, he's in Bethlehem. Well, how far is Bethlehem? Bethlehem and Jerusalem, about six miles apart. So what could have happened for the wise men is they travel all this way. They get to Jerusalem. Where's the new king? Six miles away. Are you kidding me? We've already come 900 miles why can he not just be in Jerusalem? Like this is the big city. We learned last week, Bethlehem's like a no-name city. Why is he there? And we don't know this, so I don't wanna say this about the wise men, but I'll tell you how I would have felt. I would have felt like getting to Jerusalem, finding out that Jesus is that in Bethlehem, six more miles away, I'm thinking, you know what, I'm close enough. Like we made it this far, we're in the vicinity of Jesus. Like we're in the same region as Jesus. Let's call it good. Because I've got a family to get back to. I got plenty of chores that have been mounting up. I've got all kinds of jobs, jobs I have to get back to. Like there's all the reasons why we need to get back to something else. And they searched all the way to Jerusalem, but they did not stop. Six miles away, we'll keep going. We need to go to Bethlehem, then that's where we'll go next. We will keep searching. What I find fascinating is we're told that the entire city of Jerusalem was deeply disturbed. It says everyone in Jerusalem, including King Herod. So here the wise men go to Bethlehem. They continue on their journey, their search six miles away. Everyone else in Jerusalem who knows the prophecy about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, who King Herod just learned about the prophecy, the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, nobody else went with the wise men. Isn't that fascinating? Nobody else went with the wise men. Everybody else said either we don't believe it, we don't care, or we're close enough. The wise men close enough was not close enough. They said, we want to see him. We want to be there. So they continued their search. So for us, what's that progression of searching for Jesus in our own lives? It's this, search for Jesus, but then keep moving closer to him. Oftentimes we can view our faith as a, I got it. And I'm gonna put it right there on the shelf and I'll come back if I ever need it. And we go back and do other things. We get back to other things and other people instead of finding Jesus and, well, I wanna get closer and I wanna get closer and I wanna get closer and I wanna keep taking more steps and more steps. And even though I feel close, I'm never going to be close enough, but I don't want that to keep me from pursuing him. And that becomes our life. You search for Jesus, and when you find him, you keep moving closer and closer and closer. A former pastor and writer known mostly for his writings, A.W. Tozer, he said this. He said, Complacency is the deadly enemy of spiritual progress. The contented soul is the stagnant soul. Nobody wants to be described as having a stagnant soul. But a stagnant soul is a soul that stops searching and a soul that stops moving. May we continue to move and pursue closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Let me make it really practical for you. If you feel very distant from Jesus, if that's how you visualize your relationship with him right now, then I would encourage you to keep reading Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter two, go home, keep reading Matthew chapter two. And then later on, read Matthew chapter three and go through the book of Matthew because you're going to learn who Jesus is. You're going to discover who Jesus is and you're going to move closer to him just by knowing more about him. The longer my wife and I are married and together, the more date nights we have, the more conversations we have, the more time we spend together, the closer we become. The same is true for your relationship with Jesus. Proximity matters. So keep pursuing. If you visualize yourself and you're closer to Jesus, hopefully you don't feel close enough, but if you're closer to Jesus, let me give you a passage to read this week. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter one is a great passage that helps you lean into what's next. Well, I have Jesus in my heart and I've accepted him as Lord and Savior and I'm saved and I have salvation. There's all that joy and grace stuff, but what do I do now? Second Peter chapter one is gonna speak to you this week because we can keep moving closer and closer to Jesus. That's the first part of this progression of searching. Search for Jesus, but then keep moving closer to him. Verse 10, here's what happens next with the wise men. When they saw the star, they were filled with, what's it say here? They were filled with? That was the most awful <laughs> wording of joy I've ever heard. <laughs> Maybe 930 was a little bit worse. And they were filled with joy. Let's do it one more time. And so you can really see what they felt like and what it was like to see the star. And they finally made it. They've been searching for 900 miles and months and months and months. And they went from Jerusalem to, to Bethlehem. And finally they saw the star and they were filled with joy. Oh, it just does my heart so good hearing that. <laughs> yes, they were filled with joy. So they entered the house and saw the child with his mother. Not necessarily the stable and a barn, but in a house. That's another misconception. They saw his mother, Mary, and look what they did. They bowed down and worshiped him. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The natural progression, what happens after you find Jesus is this. You worship Jesus. When you meet Jesus, you worship him. Now let's talk about worship for a second. Because what we don't see the wise men do here is sing three songs, hear a message, and go home. <laughs> That's not what they did. But isn't that funny how we kind of tend to describe and even define worship as what we're doing right now? Well, we, we worship from 11 to 12, 12-10 if Brian goes a little bit long. So that's what worship is. We do we do a few songs here and then we do a mess and then we do another song and then we go home, but that's not worship. That is most definitely part of worship. It is a significant and important part of worship, but that is not the definition of worship. No, worship is something we do all the time, but it's to who becomes the question. Who gets our worship? So for the wise men, they teach us so much about worship. The first thing that they do, we said it well the second time, was joy. Joy is part of worship. Recognizing that God is moving and what God is doing. Recognizing he is speaking and that you have joy in those situations, even in the down times. We talked about joy a couple weeks ago. That our joy is an act of worship because joy is rooted in trusting the faithfulness of God. So there's joy as part of our worship. Then what did they do when they saw him? They bowed down. They bowed down the feet of Jesus. Bowing down means a lot of things, especially in the culture and the time that we're reading. It showed respect. It showed reverence. It showed authority. When you bowed down, you were recognizing somebody else's authority over you, thus being low on the ground. They were recognizing him as king as the ultimate authority, as the ruler of their lives and everything. They bowed down in reverence and respect, recognizing authority. They bowed down down as a symbol of surrender and submission. You are most vulnerable when your neck is exposed and you're on the ground, saying, my life is yours. That's worship, but they continued Their act of worship continued after joy and after bowing down. Then they gave gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Not asking for anything in return, it was purely, here's what we want to give you. Here's what we have, now it's yours. That's worship. We worship constantly. Like I said, the question is who we worship. So let me say this to you. Just like we search and then we keep moving closer, we don't stop. We worship Jesus when we find him, but then we keep serving him. Worship is not for an hour on Sunday and then I'll see you next Sunday. Worship is what we do constantly. It's who we submit to. It's who we give our lives to. It's who we give our everything to should be Jesus. So worship Jesus and then keep serving him and only him. A fascinating part of this story that I want to point out is the wise men were in the presence of two different kings. Did you catch this? You have King Herod, and then you have King Jesus. And the wise men treated those two kings extremely differently. They presented Jesus, King Jesus, with gifts. They presented themselves bowing down before Jesus' feet. They had great joy when they saw King Jesus. They didn't do any of those things for King Herod. In fact, they got to King Herod and said, so where's the real king? Which he didn't like and then killed a bunch of people because of Eli. it. It's a horrible, horrible change of events here. <laughs> but they didn't give any gifts to Herod. They didn't give any honor to Herod. They didn't give any, any respect to Herod. They most certainly didn't bow down before Herod. There is no joy to Herod. And why I say that is because we have so many different, let's call them kings in our lives. Let's say a king is anything or anyone that wants you. Anything or anyone in life that you give to, right? And people are always wanting your attention. Things are always needing your energy. So which king do you serve? Jesus most certainly is the king. He is the king without question. The bigger question that you and I need to wrestle with is, is he my king? Is he your king? Because he is the king, but is he your king? The wise men through their worshipful actions said, yes, he's not just the king, he's our king. Would you continue to worship him, but worship him through serving him every moment of every day, because his life or your life is in his hands. A prayer that I love to pray personally, and I love our church praying this, it is really the definition of worship would be, God, what do I have and how do you wanna use me today? How do you wanna use me with what I've got, where I'm at? God, it's just my life is yours how do you want to use me today? If you begin your day like that every single morning, God, how do you want to use me with what I have and where I am today? That's how we bow down before him today. So search, worship, here's the last part. Because honestly, if we're true, um, or we're being honest with ourselves, that's usually where the story ends, isn't it? Well, they followed the star, they found Jesus, they gave him the three gifts, and then they went home. But there's one verse that really tells more of the story. This last part, we don't want to forget it. Definitely don't want to neglect it because it's the next part of our searching progression. Verse 12, when it was time to leave, they, the wise men, returned to their own country. But look, by another route, by a different route. Why? For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Remember Herod's original instructions? And again, Herod is the king. So when the king tells you to do something, you are expected to follow his instructions to the letter. So Herod said, when you find this king, when you find this Messiah, come back and tell me, is what Herod said. And the the wise men had no clue that he had bad intentions. So they were, of course, planning on going back to Herod, letting him know what was going on, and then head back home the way that they know to get home, the same route back. But then God showed up, and he gave them a change of plans and warned them, saying, don't go back to that king. Go home a different route. They didn't have a lot of answers at that point. There was probably more questions than answered. And that put the wise men in a very interesting spot. King Herod said, go back to him. God said, don't and go home a different way. Which king do they listen to? Because again, they've already found Jesus. Mission accomplished. What they set out to do, they did. They found him. They worshiped him. They gave him the gifts. And it feels like, well, their job is done. But what we see with the wise men is incredible. They not only found Jesus, they not only worshiped Jesus, but they continued to listen to the voice of God to the point of not going back to King Herod and going home a totally different route. Again, if you put yourself in the wise men's shoes, are you kidding me? Like We've come all this way, like that's the way we know how to go home. You want me to go a totally different direction? King Herod told me to come back and tell him, if I disobey, Who knows what that king could do to us? What if he finds us? There's all kinds of questions that come with that. But isn't that true in following the voice of God at times? Well, the rest of the world says this. Oh, but God says this. The rest of the world celebrates this, and yet God points us to this. When there's two competing directions, which one do we go to? Which one do we follow? So let me pose the last part. Follow Jesus but it doesn't just end there. Follow Jesus and then keep listening to him. Don't stop. The wise men didn't stop. It wasn't, we found Jesus, hooray, we're done. It was, we found Jesus, we worshiped him and we are gonna continue to listen to God's leading in his direction. And may we do the same. Search for Jesus, keep moving closer to him. May we worship him with all that we are and all that we have, him and no one else. He's the king and he's our king. And may we not just follow him for a little bit or for a season, but may we constantly follow him by listening to him. I wanna end with a Psalm from David, Psalm 63, because I think his situation matches where many of us might find ourselves. In fact, this is one of the perks to having a, uh, like a physical Bible. Before you even get to verse one, it gives us context of Psalm 63. We're told a Psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. So as you visualized where you are at spiritually with Jesus, maybe you feel like you are more in the wilderness. If so, I pray this song would be an encouragement for you. Listen to how David talks about searching, worshiping, and listening to God. Verse one, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your your unfailing love is better than life itself. Oh, how I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feasts. And I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings and I love verse eight. I cling to you. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. So where are you with Jesus? That's between you and the Lord. But depending on where you are at, can I encourage you like David, feeling like you're in the wilderness to search earnestly after God and keep searching and keep moving closer to worship him with all that you are to recognize that time with him is better than life itself, that our whole body aches to be with him. And we follow his direction because that's the only way to cling to him can't cling to him yet go another direction. So we cling to him because that's where we find our safety and our security and ultimately our hope. Our hope is in him and only in him. So wherever you are at with Jesus, would you be willing to prayerfully move closer and closer and closer and closer to him? Don't settle for close enough because close enough is never close enough. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for how you move in our hearts and and move in our lives. Thank you for how you use the other people around us. God, I pray that we are never content with just being where we are in our relationship with you, that we would constantly be desiring, like David, longing to be closer to you. So in a season that, yes, is full of busyness and chaos and craziness, drama, may we worship the king and not just a king. May we not give our lives to anything or anyone other than you. Because Jesus, you are not just the king, you're my king. And may our lives show that in Jesus' name, amen.